right. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read from 13 down through 19. If you would stand for the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to do that, Matthew 16. I'll begin in 13 and we'll read down through verse number 19. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremias, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus said back in uh, verse number uh, 18 there, He said, I will build my church. I will build my church. The title of the sermon this evening is this, Let Christ Build His Church. Isn't that what we want to do? Uh, institutions that are built by man eventually come collapsing down. But institutions that are built by God, boy, God is the one that oversees that and preserves that. We want the Lord, Jesus, to build and grow His church through this branch of White Oak Baptist Church. And so we have some things to share with you tonight that I hope will be an encouragement to you and that all of us can get on board with. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we open up our hearts and our minds As we open up the Word of God, Lord, speak to us. Thank you, God, for this church and the many people that helped make it a strong church. But, Lord, all of it would be vain if we didn't have salvation. None of it would exist if you hadn't saved our souls and sent Jesus to die in our place. And so we rejoice in the cross. We rally around the cross. We lift high the cross and the Christ that died on the cross. And, Lord Jesus, you are all that really matters. And... You purchased the church with your blood, and you want to continue to build this church. May we be a part of it. Use us mightily in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to begin the sermon tonight with a quote, and I would like this quote left on the screen for much of the introduction here. Here's the quote. I encourage you to flip that half sheet of paper around and write this down. Here it is. Let us never forget it is God who grows His church. We must simply administrate His church to accommodate that growth. Let us never forget it is God who grows His church. We must simply administrate His church to accommodate that growth. God is the one that grows the church. It's not some scheme. It's not some great plan. It's not the latest trend in church. It's not some fancy light show or fog machine or music, Uh, it's not a hymnal, it's not old methods, it's not new methods, it's Christ that grows His church. And we must do our part to administrate the church to accommodate that growth. Inside, imagine someone goes to the hardware store and they buy a water hose. And then they throw that water hose out into the front lawn. 
Now, what's the purpose of a water hose? It's to distribute water from the spigot to a specific location, right? Someone says, well, it's not my responsibility to distribute the water. Rather, it's the hose's responsibility. And while that is true, there are things you have to do to help that hose distribute the water, all right? Uh, it begins by taking the water hose out of the package, right? You've got to cut those goofy little zip ties that seem impossible to break. How I many of you ever sitting there with a dull pair of scissors or a knife? You almost kill yourself with a pocket knife trying to, to break, off, break that off, right? But you've got to take it out of the package. It's step one, and you've got to uncoil that thing. And, and then what's next? You, you can't just throw it out on the lawn, out of the package. No, next, you have to attach it to the spigot. How many of you have ever fought with the cross-threading of the trying to get it on there just right and get it on there tight. And uh, not only do you have to attach the hose to the spigot, you actually have to take the time to turn the water on and make sure that water is flowing. Now, many churches and many Christians are not growing. In fact, as we look across the American landscape, churches are not opening doors. Churches are shuttering. They're closing doors. Churches are not bursting at the seams with numbers. Churches are dwindling in size. The reality is that this church is an anomaly. It just is. And having a a building packed out with people singing the praises of God. and It's full tonight. It was even fuller this morning. And uh, to see what we saw this morning around this country, believe me, it's not just rare in New England. It's becoming more and more rare all across our country. And um, why is that? Why is it? Is it because Christ has quit building His church? And I would say the answer to that question is no. People, uh, Christians and churches, hide behind the truth that Christ is the one that grows the church. They'll say, well, our church isn't growing, but that's not my fault. It's Christ's job to grow the church. But uh, many people have left the spiritual hose inside the package and haven't even taken it out of the package. And we wonder why Christ isn't growing the church when the hose is sitting in the package in the front lawn. Christ cannot grow you or use you to grow His church if you're not even saved. Some of you here tonight, maybe you need to make the choice that instead of living your life for yourself and working your own way to heaven, you need to give your heart to Christ and trust Him as your only way to heaven. Thomas said, how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You don't get into heaven through some... A scheme or uh, some uh, set of good works. You don't get into heaven through some church or religion. There isn't a denominational card that will get you in access into heaven. You're not going to die and get to the gate of heaven and have God say to you, all right, let me see the denominational card. Where did you attend? Not going to work that way. I don't care if it says Baptist or Presbyterian or, 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 or Methodist or Catholic. It does not matter. God does not care where you went to church growing up. God cares what you did with His Son. Who died in your place? And did you believe in Him? And those who believe in Jesus alone get into heaven. Those who don't, 
do not. So uh, getting the hose, if you follow the analogy this evening, getting the hose out of the package is step one, and that equates to getting saved. You, you have to believe in Christ alone to be your saviors. Others have gotten saved, but they've left the spigot of God's power in the off position. They've got the hose out of the package. They've got the hose hooked up to the uh, spigot, uh, but um, they've not turned the water on. They don't know God's power because they do not allow God's word and God's wisdom to flow through them. And this is what we call formalism. Formalism. Is formalism a problem at White Oak Baptist Church? I'd say on some level it is, and I'd say for a handful of people who attend here it is. What is formalism? Formalism is going through the formalities of religion without realizing the power of God. I'm going to get up, get dressed, go to church, carry my Bible, sit there, absorb the sermon, go home, and uh, go back through my routine in my life, and then get up, get dressed, go to church, absorb the sermon. But you really don't make much change, and you really don't grow, and you've plateaued, and you've been plateaued for years, and uh, you dabble in sin a little bit, and, and sin's got its hooks in you in certain areas. And, and you have, as the Bible says, the form of godliness, but you've denied the power thereof. We've left the water spigot off. Now, have you ever turned the water on and still not gotten much out of the hose? All right? What creates that problem? You got water coming out, okay, and you got the hose hooked up right. You got the water turned on, and you know water's flowed into the hose, but you're not getting much out of the other end. What creates that problem? Kinks, okay? The hose is kinked, all right? Um, now, why is it that churches in America are shrinking and not growing? Is it because God is powerless? No. Is it because the gospel message is no longer relevant? No. Alright? I believe the reason why churches in America are not growing is because churches have detached themselves from the source of God's power. A lot of churches are just simply country clubs and not what God intended when He gave us the church. Um, I look at White Oak Baptist Church and I see a world of untapped potential. Uh, I see that we can and should grow in our influence to reach our community and help those who faithfully attend. Why is it that Christ does not send more growth to our church? Is it that our corporate hose is not attached to heaven? No, I don't believe so. I believe our church is filled with believers in Christ. Is it because the spigot has been left in the off position? Again, I don't think so. We look around our church and again today we had someone put their faith and trust in Christ after the service and we had a young man get baptized. Last week we had a young man get baptized. And we had a family join our church today and others who are planning on joining here very soon. I think the evidence of God's power at our church is visible. I think the spigot is in the on position. But I believe that we have some kinks in our corporate hose that need to be removed in order to see our church move forward so that God's power and growth 
can flow abundantly through our church. So that raises the question, what are the kinks? What are some of the kinks? Well, there's one in particular that I want us to key in on this evening, and hopefully we can twist it out of our corporate hose. All right, here it is. You ready? Okay. All right, here it is. I believe White Oak Baptist Church has a small church mentality. A small church mentality. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Lejeune, did you see how full the building was this morning? Like, it was uncomfortably full. What do you mean we have a small church mentality? Well, let's not forget the word small is relative. Okay? Now, if you were to take uh, and look at the independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Baptist, King James-only churches in Connecticut, and uh, look at their attendances today, we'd be in the top, oh, I don't know, 5 to 10% in size. Okay? We're, uh, we're somewhere between the third to fifth largest independent Baptist church in the state of Connecticut. And so compared to other churches that are like-minded with us, we're not small. But is that the standard? I, I don't think that should be the standard. What if we were to look at the size of our church and our scope of influence in comparison to the size of the city and metropolis of which we are a part? Well, now we're, not, no, we're, now we're no longer large at all. All right, let me show you what I mean. The population of Stratford, now all these numbers are rounded down, okay? The population of Stratford is 50,000 plus people. 50,000 plus people, again, are rounded down to the nearest uh, thousandth or uh, nearest 5,000, okay? Uh, Population of Shelton, many of you come from Shelton. Shelton's population is 40,000 plus. Milford's population is 50,000 plus. Derby, Ansonia, and Seymour, that would be the valley, their combined population is 45,000 plus. All right? And Bridgeport's population is 145,000 plus. So these numbers do not include cities like Orange or Fairfield or West Haven, where we have a handful of people that come from each of those cities. Just the cities on the screen, which are within a 20-minute drive of our church, have a total population of 350,000 people. 350,000 people. Do you understand why I say now that we have a small church mentality? Um, Let me put it a little bit more in perspective. Okay, we had um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 people here this morning. Maybe a little more than that, but around 200 people. And we've been running around 200 for um, much of last year. Let's say that our overall scope of influence, people that call this their church, watch us online, uh, our church ministry has some influence over their life, let's broaden the number out. And let's uh, very liberally say that we touch the lives of 350 people. Okay, 350 people, that might be a slight stretch, but um, if we're not there, we're close. So watch this. 
if we're reaching 350 people, that means we are reaching one-tenth of one percent of those in Stratford, Shelton, Milford, the Valley, and Bridgeport. One-tenth of one percent. Now, even if we just look at the population of Stratford and assume that everyone in our church is from Stratford, which they're not, but even if we were to make that assumption, then we would be reaching seven-tenths of one percent of the city of Stratford. I'm not here to condemn you tonight or condemn myself. If uh, the buck stops with me, I'm the pastor, all right? So if that's all we're reaching, it's on me before it's on anybody else. But we have much work to do to effectively reach our Jerusalem and our Judea. We have reached just a drop in the bucket of the population of just the area around us. Now, listen, listen. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen: All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All power. All power does not reach one-tenth of one percent of an area. Are we together on that? All power is able to do a whole lot more than that. And so this is where I come in saying that we have a small church mentality. And I think that a small church mentality can lead us to have, or can become the, or is the result of some poor corporate choices that are made. Let me give you here, by way of introduction, um, just some attitudes that I think we need to see shifted a little bit in our own hearts. And listen, part of my job as the pastor is to rebuke. And so I'm going to share some things in the service tonight that are encouraging. Uh, I'm going to share some things in the service tonight that are exciting. Uh, but listen, a part of my duty is to make sure that where we're not right, the pastor uh, uh, states that. So here's some attitude adjustments for us corporately, okay? Here's one of them. It's good enough. It's, it's good, and it's good enough attitude. Ah, that's good enough. I hate the phrase, it's good enough. Hate it. If, uh, and my kids don't use it around me because they know they're going to get called out immediately if they say, it's good enough. It's good enough. No, it's not. Uh, the Bible says that uh, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. If you're sweeping a floor, do it with all thy might. If you're washing dishes, do it with all thy might. If you're out knocking doors and sharing the gospel with people, do it with all thy might. If you're going to go to church and sit and listen to a sermon, do it with all thy might. If you're going to sing in church, boy, uh, ramp back and let it fly with all thy might. It's a good enough, it's, it's good enough attitude is what helps Keep us pigeonholed into a small church mentality. And no, it's not good enough. Am I doing it on a level that pleases the Lord? Here's another attitude. Someone else will do it. Someone else will do it. I, I love uh, when people come to me and say, you know, Pastor, it sure would be great if we had this ministry or we had this. Or, you know, it sure would be great if we did that better. And, you know, I look at them and I say, how are you going to help us make that happen? Be part of the solution, not just part of voicing the Problem. Anybody can be a critic. 
Anybody can be a critic. Listen, if you want to sit with me and tell me all the things that are wrong with White Oak Baptist Church, I will gladly sit and listen to you, and I'll probably add five to ten more things to your list. Alright? I'm not dumb. I know. I'm the pastor. I'm the leader. I can see it. I'm aware. And, and, and listen, people want to critique or point out things that aren't right. Hey, that's great. But guess what? They've never, ever, one time, ever built a statue for a critic. And they're not going to build one for you either. Anybody can be a critic. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can see the shortcoming. Anybody can see the wrong. But you know who doesn't criticize? Uh, I'll tell you who doesn't criticize. The people who are elbow deep in doing the work and doing their best to make it good for the glory of God. And if someone else will do it, attitude is limiting us. Someone else will go out soul winning on Saturday. Someone else will be faithful to church this Sunday. Someone else will pass out gospel tracts at the gas station or restaurant. Someone else will uh, clean the building. Someone else will uh, uh, help, help watch the nursery. Someone else will work the bus ministry. Someone else will... And yes, someone else may step up and do it, but until we all get involved and we all do our part, listen, we're kinking the hose and uh, God cannot allow His power to flow through and reach the masses in our area. Here's another attitude that is part of a small church mentality. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be inconvenienced. Yeah, I'll watch the nursery, but don't ask me to do it more than once a quarter. Yeah, yeah, I'll show up and help decorate for that event, but, you know, um, uh, if I can, I'm going to let you know at the last minute I'm, I'm not available. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help give people a ride home, but only if it works on my schedule, only if it works in, in, in what's convenient for me. Otherwise, you know, I, I can't help. I'll, 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 uh, I'll help clean the church, but, you know, if I'm not feeling up to it, I'm going to make sure I let you know. Listen, we have moved into a time where people are just afraid to make any real hardcore commitments. Hardcore commitments. And this is a symptom of our culture at large. But Christians, I'm asking you to not represent the culture, but represent Christ. And let's not have the character of the culture. Let's have the character of a Christian. And the culture says, I'm going to be positive noncommittal. I'll, 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 I'll tell you, I might show up and, and I'll be positive about what you're doing, but don't write me down for anything serious. Boy, if we're going to be a church that breaks out of a small church mentality, we need some soldiers of Jesus Christ who say, put my name down and count on me and I will be there and I will do my part and I'm going to do everything I can to build the kingdom of heaven. Count me in, pastor. I am there. Not just a, I'll do it as long as it doesn't inconvenience my life or my schedule. I'm sure glad that the Lord Jesus wasn't afraid of being inconvenienced when He left heaven's throne to be laid in a manger, raised by peasants, uh, live a poor life, be homeless, and uh, have to borrow a mule to ride in Jerusalem, and have to borrow a man's cross to die, and have to borrow a man's tomb to be uh, buried, and then uh, stand back to life and say, I died for your sins, and I was inconvenienced to do it. Boy, your whole eternity is built on the greatest inconvenience of the divine. But we can't be inconvenienced to work a bus route. But we can't be inconvenienced to give a tenth of our, of our income in the plate. We can't be inconvenienced to watch the nursery more than once every so often. We can't be inconvenienced to show up the church faithfully three times a week. If we're going to break out of a small church mentality, we have to be willing to be inconvenienced for the cause of Christ. Here's another quote for you. I don't know that this one will be on the screen, but write it down all the same. 
Here it is. God's business is the greatest business in the whole world. God's business is the greatest business in the whole world. Hence, we should do it first class. God's business is the greatest business in the whole world. Hence, we should do it first class. God's business is the greatest business in the whole world. Hence, we should do it first class. We do everything else first class, but we expect God uh, not to get what's right. We give God what's left. What's left. Are you one that is in the way and kinking the hose? Are you part of the reason why the spiritual hose is kinked and the water of God's power can't flow and the, the church is not growing and being built. What are some of the attributes of someone who is a kink in the spiritual hose of the corporate uh, of White Oak Baptist Church corporately? I wrote down one, two, three, four and there's others that can be listed. Here are some attributes. The first one I wrote down is laziness. Laziness. Here's another one. A lousy attitude. A lousy attitude. How about this one? A loose Tongue. I was joking around with Miss Joy before church tonight. Little Asher was crawling under the under the chairs, and uh, as soon as I saw him do that, I thought back to when I was a boy and I used to do that in the auditorium at Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And we would have choir practice before church, and two little old ladies they would sit about halfway in the center section, about halfway back, and they would knit. They'd sit there and they'd knit and whatever, crochet knit, whatever that thing's called. Me and my, uh, my, my friends, we would crawl under the pews, and we'd get within earshot of them, and we'd listen to them talking. What were they talking about? They were gossiping. They were gossiping about people in the choir. Can you believe that? Gossiping about people in the choir. And we'd just sit there, and we'd listen to them, and we'd snicker and laugh, and, and then we'd, we'd crawl away. And, and um, uh, I, I, I don't know they ever gossiped about my mother. I would have went home and told her, all right? Uh, but uh, just, the, just the church gossips. And do you know that loose lips sink ships? I wonder how many people who you have influence with outside of White Oak Baptist Church will never visit here because anytime you've had a little gripe about something here at the church, you've gone out, out there and told them. Why would they come when you've talked down your church? Why would you do that? We, uh, we're really good at, at uh, sharing prayer requests that's just nothing more than gossip. And be careful about that. By the way, your silence is a vote of affirmation of what's being said. Someone sits there and gossips and you just listen and you don't rebuke them or ask them to stop. You know what they take that as? That you agree with what they said. You be very careful about that. What are some kinks in the hose? Laziness, a lousy attitude, a loose tongue, lack of participation in the church program. Lack of participation in the church program. There's others, but these are all ways that God's people limit Christ's growth of the church. Tonight, I want us to look at four thoughts as we seek to catch a vision of what God wants to do here through you in this church in 2023. Okay, let's get into it this evening. Number one, notice the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church. Here in Matthew, we find the first time that any concept of church 
had ever been mentioned in Scripture. All right? Look at Matthew 16 and verse 18. And in all of my studying and searching, uh, I can't find any reference of the exact word church used before Matthew 16, 18. Look there, it says, And I say unto thee, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We don't think much about it, but when we hear the word church, but for the disciples, I'm sure they had a lot of questions. This is the first time this word's been thrown out. This is the first time this word's ever been used. And, and, and I'm sure they wondered, what is a church? And, and how is that going to work? And what do you mean? At time, uh, as time would move along, the church would find its identity. God would use these apostles and Peter as their head to write letters uh, to his churches. And Paul would come along and help assist writing letters to the churches and help them know exactly how this divinely authored institution should operate. So I have studied the Scriptures uh, far and wide. And uh, from my studies in Scripture, I uh, see three purposes of the church. And let me, let me give you an A, B, and a C here. And I believe these three purposes, everything else falls under these neatly, categorically. Letter A, notice the fellowship of the believers. Fellowship of the believers. And there's a whole bunch of verses that could be used, but let me give you one in particular. 1 John 1 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we, the church, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So, again, plenty of other passages that we could turn to, but for sake of time, we will not. So, one of the purposes of the church is to provide a place for believers to fellowship, commune one with the other. Letter B, fullness of the Holy Spirit. Fullness of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, uh, this is Jesus speaking to the leaders who would go establish a church, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Church is the place where spirit-filled believers gather to strengthen and encourage one another. One other purpose I see in Scripture is this, the furtherance of the gospel. The furtherance of of the gospel. Look back with me at Acts chapter 1, or rather I'll read for you Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses, witnesses unto me. You are to witness, you are to testify uh, on my behalf of what you've seen and experienced both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So a church that is Holy Spirit led is a soul winning church. What does that term soul winning mean? That means they go find folks and tell them about Jesus. They win their soul to an understanding of Jesus Christ. They warn and they win, they convince, they persuade one to put their faith and trust in Christ. And a church that is Holy Spirit led will see as its fruit other people being saved. So a church that gathers together for fellowship only is nothing more than a cleaned up country club. Amen? A church that only gathers just for fellowship, all they want is just a Christian form of a country club. And that's not what God wants. By the way, I believe that's the reason why many churches are dying on the vine. Because, um, listen, if you want a country club, there's a lot of places around Stratford that do a better job of entertaining you in the form of a country club than we do. All right, and, and, and we can't offer what many country clubs can't offer. There's no golf course out back. All right, 
Uh, there's no fancy swimming pool with a hot tub out back. Uh, we don't have a gym where you can go work out. This is not a country club. Uh, this is not just some place for you to have some hall where you fellowship. No, this is meant for you to have a purpose beyond just having fun. Now, having fun is part of going to church. But God has called us to so much more than that. So we see the purpose of the church. Again, uh, uh, say it with me. What, is the, what are the purposes of the church? Ready? Here we go. Letter A, fellowship of the believers. Letter B, fullness of the Holy Spirit. And letter C, furtherance of the gospel. And so you should be involved in all three of those. Number two, notice the program of the church. The program of the church. Our church staff has carefully put together a program with these three things in mind. All right, so everything we do, men, you can begin to pass out those calendars if you do that at this time. And uh, we have three, four guys uh, who are ushers. You could, the quicker that goes, the faster. All right, so we, uh, our our church staff has worked hard to create a program, and watch this now. Everything in that program is designed. To fulfill those three purposes. Alright? I came here six and a half years ago and uh, I looked at our program and I said, how can we uh, further the gospel, fullness of the Holy Spirit, and offer fellowship of the believers? And so everything on our calendar is meant to help either give you a chance for fellowship, give you a chance for Holy Spirit fullness, or give you an opportunity there uh, for um, uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. And so uh, we we really only need one of those per family, guys. All right? Uh, feel free to, uh, if we have extras, you can give out extras. Let's start with one per family and uh, and go from there. So let's take a minute and let's talk about our program at our church uh, for 2023, okay? So, men, we need a chance to interact with each other, fellowship as men, all right? And uh, that's important. So we have two events on the calendar that are meant to help give men a chance at manly, manly fellowship, all right? Here we go. Uh, we have a camp out we do in June. And we have a good time with that, all right? We get our tents out, and we pretend as though we know the wildlife, even though we don't. We get out there and have fun, and uh, we, uh, where we do the camp out, uh, they also have cows. And sometimes those cows come up in our camp, and you should see some of the little kids cry. You should see some of the adult men cry. Uh, but we have a good time uh, with the camp out. The other thing we do is uh, we have a steak dinner, all right? So what are the purposes of these? It's us to get together, have a good time. By the way, at the steak dinner, we have a tug-of-war competition every year, and uh, we have a great time with that. And so um, that's men's activities. Then we have some ladies' activities. And so we have a, a ladies' luncheon in May. And I believe we have, oh, 80 to 100 ladies that come to that every year. Boy, the building gets decorated real nice. And uh, we bring in a special speaker and have a, a really good meal and a catered dinner and uh, just a chance for ladies to get to fellowship with each other. There's uh, This August, we're going to have a ladies' luau, a Hawaiian-themed luau. And so my wife is organizing that. So you ladies get to look forward to that. How about for married couples? Well, Pastor Andrew highlighted for us both this morning and this evening, the marriage uh, conference, the couples conference, a marriage retreat. Let me just say to you this evening, if you're married, well, you'll be doing yourself a lot of good to come to this. And uh, whether you've been married for a few months or for decades, let me just encourage you to attend. And 
I had several couples who've been married for 40 plus years tell me after the conference last year, Pastor, these are good reminders and some of these are good new angles on the same old truths and help us really understand on a deeper level. Our speaker this year is uh, my good friend, uh, Curtis King, pastor in um, Niagara Falls, New York. He and his wife have been married for 40 years, I believe, and uh, just a wonderful marriage, wonderful marriage. They may be one of the only couples I know that legitimately don't fight with each other. I mean that. I don't think they fight with each other. And I know him about as well as I know any of my siblings. And a spirit-filled man who has really mastered the art of being a wonderful husband. Miss Janet will be coming with him and be doing some of the breakout conferences, uh, uh, sessions with the ladies. If you're married, listen, prioritize this thing. You say, we don't have $200. Listen up, listen up, listen up. If you really don't have $200, come talk to me. We're going to help you to go. All right? Don't let the money stand in the way. We will make a way for you to go. We'll make a way for you to go. I want every married couple in our church to attend this uh, that possibly can. And when I talked about being a kink in the hose, don't be one of these people that goes, well, I don't need that. You're exactly what I'm talking about. That's a small church mentality right there. I don't need that. I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of that. Well, you just buy into the program in the church. I look back here at the Varas, and I love the Varas, thankful for them. They didn't know I was going to say this. Uh, but I asked with Avara once, I said, boy, you've raised two wonderful children. Uh, verdict's still out on Claudia. She's not married yet. And the guy she's dating or engaged to is, eh. No, I'm just kidding. He's a great guy. Uh, but um, uh, just um, did a wonderful job raising their kids. And I said to uh, Brother Vara, I said, uh, tell, tell, me, tell me how you did it. And he said, I just simply followed the program of the church and the teaching of the church every step of the way. He said, I had my family in church and it was time to have them in church. And when uh, they taught on marriage, uh, I, we, we listened. When they taught on parenting, we took note and put it into place. And every, we had our kids at every activity. We took them uh, to, to church conferences and youth conferences. And, and then Mike said this. He said, and it doesn't hurt to, have be, to be married to a great wife and mother. And so um, uh, that's a big part of it there. Uh, but what, what do Mike and Diane represent with the way they've raised their church? Someone who just said, wholesale, I'm buying into the program of the church, and if the pastor teaches it from the Word of God, we're going to go forth and we're going to put it into practice. Some of you here say, well, I don't need the marriage conference. Well, And you may have a great marriage, but uh, you'd be doing well to attend the couples conference, the Fellowship of the Believer. Uh, in August, we have a mystery date night. You'll see that on your calendar. How about the youth department, the teenagers, 7th to 12th grade, with Pastor Andrew and Miss Callie. Boy, they sure work hard, and I believe a schedule was passed out around today to some of the parents, to many of the parents. They have um, scheduled bi-weekly uh, teen events, teen activities on Friday evenings. We've got a summer camp. Coming up in June at New England Baptist Camp up in New Hampshire. We'll be taking our teenagers to. And then there's the Teen Week, Neighborhood Bible Time Teen Week in July. How about the children's activities? We have baseball and soccer leagues that take place in the spring and in the fall, respectively. They have a Pinewood Derby race that takes place in May, and that's a lot of fun uh, to watch. So uh, can I gloat for a minute? My kids aren't in it, so someone else gets to win this year. Amen. All right. Uh, we've got uh, church-wide activities. So uh, we've got uh, the Chili Cook-Off competition coming up in February. Who won that last year? Did Ben, did ben win that last year? 
And so uh, we'll see if someone can dethrone Benigno Salinas. All right, but that's coming up but next month. We've got the International Dinner, part of our missions conference in March. We've got the Memorial Day picnic in May. We have the awesome August Sunday evening fellowships every Sunday evening in August. We've got the old-fashioned Sunday potluck uh, coming up in October. We've got the Thanksgiving banquet every November. Listen, uh, this is a place where you can fellowship with other believers, all right? If you say, well, I just don't have any friends at White Oak Baptist Church, I'd say, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Get out there, put yourself out there. You've got plenty of opportunities uh, to make friends. So, fellowship with the believers. How about the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Again, we're not just a country club. And, and if all you're going to do is just hang out at the activities and not be worried about the other two, that's a sign of, of a kink in the hose of your heart and you're not going to grow until you get that out. Fullness of the Holy Spirit. We must never forget that uh, we're not a country club, but a place to help people be filled with and led by the Spirit of God in their day-to-day living. If all you want to do is come here and have fun at our events, uh, then, uh, then you are settling for a cleaned up fun environment. This is not what God has called us to be. What does our church offer you to encourage Holy Spirit fullness? Well, let's begin uh, with the three scheduled church services every week. I am not going to apologize for pushing people to attend Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening. You may call me a radical nut. Uh, uh, that's fine. You can label me whatever you want. That's fine. You can call me an indie fundy. That's fine. If you don't know what that means, look it up. No, and better yet, don't. Uh, you know what? Uh, 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 we need three services to thrive every single week. And by coming to church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday evening, what are we doing? We're exposing ourselves to the Word of God. We're putting ourselves underneath the teaching of the Bible, the discipleship programs, and uh, the Word of God is studied and prepared. And listen, you need to show up to the church services. The Bible says so much the more, not so much, not so less the more as you see the day approaching. And I, what does that mean so much the more? Well, in that time it was written, they were going to church every single day. Day. Every day. Can you imagine we had church seven days a week? How many vote the week? No, we're not going to do that. Amen? Uh, but uh, being pushed for three services a week, I don't think it's, it's too much of an ask. Now, some of you uh, need to commit to being here at those services, but beyond the, the Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening, we also offer life groups for all ages on Sundays at 9.30. And a life group, many of you know, is just a small group Bible study where we get to know each other and pray with each other and study the Bible together. And so show up Sundays at 9.30. A one-on-one discipleship training on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And a couple of times this year, we're going to reboot that and encourage people to join in on that. How about Master Clubs? That's a discipleship program for our children that takes place on Wednesdays at 6.45. As a young boy, I went through the Awana program. I believe we, it, it, we used to have an Awana program here. Is that correct? Years ago, we had an Awana program, and I grew up going through Awanas. Master Club's very similar to Awanas. And you know what? Much of the Bible that I have memorized today, I memorized as a little boy. And so get your kids exposed to this. You say, oh, but pastor, it's a long day, and my kids have school, and we have work. Make the sacrifice of helping your children hide God's Word in their heart. Be involved in our Children's Master Club 
program. How about um, we'll be having men's prayer breakfasts on Saturdays throughout the year. We'll be doing those here at the church where we gather and uh, we uh, have a, a meal and then we get together as men and we pray over one another's needs. By the way, men, let's not let the ladies uh, beat us in pray. Amen? Let me say it again. Men, let's not let the ladies outdo us in pray. Ladies in our church, they know how to pray. I've listened to some of them pray. They didn't know I was listening, but I hit around the corner and I've listened to some of them pray. Ooh, they know how to pray. Some of us men, I feel like if you're called on to pray, maybe you'd have a tough time with that. And look, if you're afraid to pray publicly, I'm not picking on you, but do you know how to pray privately? By the way, it's better that you know how to pray privately than that you know how to pray publicly. Many men do more praying publicly than they do privately. And if that's your case, shame on you. Boy, your, your prayer closet ought to be visited regularly. Corporately, we'll offer men a chance to pray at prayer breakfasts. Ladies, prayer groups meet each Friday morning and Friday evening. You can see Miss Marcia Anderson if you have questions about how to get involved in that. We have a missions conference in March to stir your heart toward missions involvement. How about the furtherance of the gospel? The most important thing we do here at White Oak Baptist Church, the most important thing we do is spread the gospel seed everywhere we go. That's why we have a tract rack in our lobby full of tracts. We want you to stuff them in your purses and pockets and take them out and distribute them everywhere they go, everywhere you go. Nothing makes me more happy than when I go to hand a waiter or waitress a a tract only to hear, oh, I've already gotten one of those. Or walk into a gas station and see one sitting on the counter. Or go into a bank and there one is sitting out or a teller's looking at one. And uh, Listen, we're to distribute the gospel seed and invite people everywhere we go. I mentioned earlier the Great Commission Saturdays that meet 36 Saturday mornings a year, three sets of 12. We're busy telling our community about our church, but more importantly about the Savior of our church. Over the last six plus years, I've worked hard to offer those who attend this church plenty of options on these three purposes of the church. Now listen closely. Is my plan the best plan out there? Probably not. Are there other churches that have a better plan than Pastor Lejeune's plan? Are there other church schedules that are more robust and are better balanced and more organized and better for, more healthy than the one that I'm offering you today? There probably are, but watch this now. A mediocre plan that's enthusiastically followed is better than a great plan that's completely ignored. I don't know that with our church the problem is with the plan that's being presented, but the lack of enthusiasm and involvement from the church body and its involvement. And if you're involved, I praise God for you. But how about those of you here this, this evening, you're only involved to a level that you want to be, not in the level that Christ wants you to be. You see, uh, we must get the kinks out of the hose. We must do our part. So... Uh, What are we adding to the church program in 2023 that will help us to grow? As you can see, our Spanish-speaking service has been growing with little to no push. We have not pushed. There's not been some great campaign to get out in the area and broadcast it. We've not put a sign out front. We've not added a page to our website. We've not printed fresh material. Uh, Word of mouth is spread, and uh, you see how many folks are attending our Spanish-speaking service. I'm teaching the Spanish life group this quarter. We had somewhere between 25 to 30 in that life group this morning. 
when uh, Brother Kyle was trying to seat people this morning, he had a tough time. And then we dismissed the Spanish folk to go out to a Spanish-speaking service, and all of a sudden, there were options, weren't there? Uh, all around the auditorium, pockets of people slipped out. I praise God for that. Uh, so I want to just articulate to the church what our plan is with our Spanish-speaking folks. Now, listen, these people love the Lord and they want to be a part of our church body, and I think we should let them be part of it. We plan on officially launching our Spanish ministry. You see it there on that calendar on Sunday, March the 5th. March the 5th. That will be the official launch of the Spanish ministry. Now, listen, we're not going to call it the Spanish church. We're going to call it the Spanish ministry. You say, well, what's the difference? The Spanish church implies it's a separate church inside the same building. No, 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 no. They are part of our church body. They're going to be part of our church body. They're going to be a ministry of our church, much like we have the bus ministry, and we have the teen ministry, and we have the children's ministry, we have the life group ministry, and we have the senior saints ministry. Well, we're going to have a Spanish ministry. I look at our teen ministry, and Pastor Andrew is the director of our teen ministry. I look at our children's ministry and Brother Andres, by the way, pray for him. He's in bed sick with a fever right now, but pray for him. Uh, I, I believe he'll be okay, but uh, keep him in your prayer. He's in charge of our children's ministry. And uh, who is going to be in charge or the leader, director of our uh, Spanish ministry? God has brought to us a wonderful family, John and Kelly Ordonez. And uh, it's been great. I've had a, a wonderful chance to get to know him over uh, 2018 was the year we met. Is that correct, Brother Ordonez? 2018? And so for the last four years, four plus years, he and I have gotten to be very, very close. And uh, God has given him and his wife a wonderful heart for people. And uh, they're going to be part of our church, just like Pastor Andrew leads the teen ministry. Brother, and Brother Andres leads the children's ministry. Brother, uh, Pastor, uh, rather, Brother John Ordonez is going to lead uh, the Spanish ministry or be our Spanish church director. So March 5th, our Spanish speakers will begin by having their own service uh, that will take place up in our church's fellowship hall. And we'll move the children downstairs into uh, the uh, room 101 here. And they'll be meeting from beginning to end in their own space as they continue to grow. We want to provide them that opportunity. They're going to be pushed to join the events in English. We're going to create some events in Spanish. Some of you here are bilingual but prefer the English service. We're going to be pushing you to attend their activities. And we're going to work to be a mingled church together. God has blessed me uh, with the gift of being able to speak Spanish, and so once every five weeks or so, I will begin here in this service, and then I will head upstairs, and I will preach to them in Spanish. In my absence, Pastor Andrew will be given the same sermon I'm preaching upstairs in Spanish, and he will fill in the pulpit, and so the entire church will be fed the same spiritual diet. Uh, the weeks that I'm preaching in here, Brother uh, John's already doing this, I'll be giving him, uh, be providing him my sermon notes, and he'll be preaching in Spanish what's being preached here in English, so we'll be on the same spiritual diet. So, again, to be clear, this is not going to be called the Spanish church, but rather the Spanish ministry. Please choose that term very carefully. We are uh, all one body, and we need to be jointly fit together 
unto good works. So, uh, by the way, this might interest some of you here. According to uh, some surveys that were done by church groups, the Spanish-speaking community was the largest growing sect of evangelical churches here in the U.S. in both the calendar year 2021 and 2022. So while um, uh, English-speaking American, Caucasian, African-American attendance might be on the decline, Spanish church attendance is on the rise. And so it would be a shame not to offer these wonderful people a chance to grow in the Lord. So I believe God's going to use this to unify us and grow us. The purpose of the church, the program of the church. Number three, let's talk about the property of the church. The property of the church. Now, I could, I'm just sharing with you here this evening that my goal and my desire is to be intellectually honest with you, all right? I'm not going to take you to a passage of Scripture here. I could take you to the Old Testament, where there are many passages about building tabernacles and temples, and, uh, and twist those and apply them to renovating our building. But that would be in my heart, intellectually dishonest and dishonest to the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, God put a lot of attention on building materials for both the tabernacle and the temple. Many passages of Scripture that New Testament pastors use about building upkeep are not New Testament. In fact, there aren't any New Testament. They're all Old Testament. Why? Watch this. Because in the New Testament... Less attention is given to building buildings and more attention is given to building people. Building people. Alright? I really hope some of you with a Catholic background will listen intently to what I'm about to say. Is this building we're in right now the house of God? No. It's not. If you are saved, you are the house or temple of God. The Holy Spirit does not dwell here and only here. The Holy Spirit indwells you when you put your faith and trust in Christ. We call this building the church house because this is the building or house that accommodates our corporate gatherings. It's the peace, it's, but it's not the property that's the church. It's the people inside the property or on the property that are the church. You all understand that if this building burnt to the ground, we, we're still the church. Now we can build a new building, okay? And that's why we don't, you know, treat Chairs or the pews that used to be in here as though they're holy. I personally avoid the word sanctuary. Now, there's nothing wrong if you call this a sanctuary. Nothing wrong whatsoever. I'm not against it. I'm not going to tell anyone to stop. If that's what you're comfortable with, by all means. But I don't call this the sanctuary because um, I am the temple of God, not some building. Okay? So, but, all that is true. Um, uh, with, with all that said... Listen now, it's still our responsibility to be good stewards of the property that God has given us. While this is not some sort of sanctified, uh, uh, you know, holy piece of ground, the grounds are not holy, the people inside are to be holy, 
It's still the property that God has given our corporate body. And we are to be good stewards of what God has given us. We're to be good stewards of it. We're to take really good care of it. Really good care of it. I made the joke last year that we had all the money we needed to fix the air conditioners. The only problem was that the money was in your bank accounts. All right? And I got a good chuckle out of the church when I, when I made that joke. It's not funny the second time, is it? It was funny the first time. And while that was funny, it was true. I look around this beautiful piece of property and I see a lot of things that could be repaired or made better. All right? Um, we're not limited in ideas. I've got lots of ideas. In fact, I'm going to pass out some of those ideas via paper here in just a moment. Ushers, you can get ready to do that. We're not limited in ideas. We're limited in money to make those ideas a reality. So uh, let's distribute those. And I want to take a minute and share with you my thought processes on what takes priority. And we're going to be sharing this with the Sunday morning crowd as well. Now, I, I want to say um, I had a... a uh, man in our church, I cherish his opinion very much, share with me uh, this afternoon that many of the, you that come to the Sunday evening service are, you know, you're, you're our, our heavy, hitter, uh, heavy hitters when it comes to giving. Many of you are already giving about as much as you can give. And if that's the case, I'm not trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip, okay? There are others who come on Sunday morning only and Maybe they're not carrying their weight around here and they use the facilities and we're going to encourage them to give also. But again, I'm trying to cast a vision here so we want to make sure everyone's uh, aware of what, we, uh, what we're what we looking at. All right. So before we go over the list, I really want you to hear what I'm about to say because I want you to know the thought process here of the order of things. All right. Um. What should take the priority? Okay. Can everyone do me a favor? Can you be disciplined enough to put the list down and look up here? All right. We're going to look at the list together in a minute. Okay. I'm going to ask you just to be disciplined enough. I know you, you, you want to know. Okay. You, you do. All right. Just listen up here for a minute. I'm going to explain to you my thought process behind this. All right. Um, What's, what's the thought process on what takes priority when it comes to repairs? Let me give you an analogy here. Let's say you're a family who wants to do a lot of hosting. You want to have a lot of people over. You're, you want to be very hospitable, all right? And you have some money for home repairs, uh, and you need a back bedroom fixed up. You also need the living room fixed up, all right? You want to start having people over. You need to fix up your living room, but you also have a back bedroom that it can get by, but needs some improvements. Which one are you going to fix up first? You're going to fix up the living room. Now, if you're antisocial and don't want anybody coming to your home, then you're going to fix up the back bedroom, all right? Uh, but, but hang with me here. Church is not meant to be a place that's antisocial. Church is meant to be a place that's social. We want people coming in our doors. We want people here. So, with that said, um, we need to make sure that what we fix up first 
is going to do the best we can to get more people in the doors so we have a greater influence with the gospel. So let me ask you a question this evening. Where is the main lobby of the church? Where is it? It's not out there. That was a trick question. It was a trick question. All right, take a minute think about it. What's the purpose of a lobby? To receive and greet, correct? Receive and greet, okay? Now, where are people in the 21st century first finding out and experiencing our church? On the internet. Through our live stream. Alright? I'm thankful for our, our church staff that work hard to make our uh, live stream experience bearable. I'll use the word bearable. Okay? It is bearable. It's pretty good for a 2012 standard. When I, and I'm not talking about the media part of it. I'm talking about the camera part of it. Um, I think that if we're going to make this, this live stream experience where people are being first exposed to our church uh, as good as it can be, then our renovations need to be focused on people's first impressions. People's first impressions. And I would hate for someone to stumble over our live stream and never even walk in the door and visit our church. So... Here is the list. Um, let's get our list out and look at them here. Here's the list of um, uh, renovation ideas here, okay? And so here's what we're looking at, and we're looking to do them in this order. The main auditorium, what we would like to do is take the baptistry here and center it on the wall, all right? Raise it up, you know, about where the middle of that cross there. The, the cross would be uh, put uh, somewhere... We're not getting rid of the cross on the back wall, but a cross would be somewhere there. And um, uh, we'd move the changing rooms on both sides. We'd add more lights for the platform um, so that there's no shadow cast on the face of the speaker. Uh, we're looking at a stacked stone texture, not overly expensive, but a stacked stone texture uh, back behind there. New live stream cameras. Cost of materials are outrageous right now, okay? Uh, but um, this would cost us an estimated $70,000, all right? You said that's a lot of money. Well, uh, again, I just want to say the total, minus the elevator, the total amount of the repairs is about a quarter million dollars, all right? Brother Vara made this point to me uh, when I was talking to him about some of this. The property here is valued at $2.5 million, I don't think a 10% uh, of worth investment back into the property for fixing it up is unreasonable, okay? So 70000 for that. Next on the list, uh, our three- to five-year-old class, room 102. We'd like to uh, see new flooring, ceiling, and lighting, all right? Fresh coat of paint on the wall, new tables and chairs for our children. Uh, I think they, they run somewhere between 10 and 20 children in there every week. Is that right, Miss, Miss uh, Autumn? somewhere in that neighborhood, and so um, they've been stuck in a room that is not really set up for them, and they're making, doing the best they can to make it work, and uh, new cabinets and countertops, the room to look appropriate for a three- to five-year-old class, estimated cost somewhere in the 15000 range. Now, these costs are um, on the high end of what it may cost, but I would rather shoot high 
and pair back, then shoot low uh, and not uh, be able to, uh, to to get things done. All right. Uh, then we'd like to renovate the lower floor ladies' bathroom. New flooring, uh, uh, new fresh coat of paint, new sinks and countertops, and so estimated cost somewhere in the $12,000 range. And then the curb appeal outside. We'd like to see new shrubbery put in, uh, the removal of the pergola with a new seating area out there, replace the walkways, the asphalt walkways, and uh, replace them with a concrete walkway, some curb repair, Estimated cost there is about 35000 Many of you want to know about the kitchen. All right, that's one I get asked about a lot. Uh, we're looking at an overhaul redesign of the second floor on the other side of the fellowship hall with a full-size kitchen. Um, you say, Pastor, why is that one down the list? I want that one to be first. Well, the reason is is because the people that are inconvenienced with the size of the kitchen, that's not inhibiting people from coming to our church and being part of our church. And so we're working from here out. And uh, in time, I believe these things will be funded. So let me take a minute and share with you. And then we've had a number of you ask us about installing an elevator, especially because you don't like going up and down the stairs uh, for life groups or your health just doesn't really allow you uh, to do that. So uh, because I had enough uh, noise on it, enough people push on it, we had a company come in and look at installing an elevator and um, it's very expensive. So um, that would take a miracle, but God's in the miracle working business, so you never know. But I put that in on there because I knew otherwise I'd be getting questions. Pastor, what about the elevator? So there you go. You see it there on the list. All right. Here's what I want to ask of you. I want to ask of you to pray about what God would have you give toward building improvements here at White Oak Baptist Church. All right. Um, a couple things on this from a, a tax code standpoint. If you give designated giving that isn't being requested from the, the leader of the organization, you give designated giving, so you give money that's designated. Let's say, you know what, I don't really care about the main auditorium or the three- to five-year-old renovation. I want the lower floor ladies' bathroom renovated, and so I'm going to mark on my envelope, lower floor ladies' bathroom. If you do that, you can't count it for tax purposes. All right? You can't do that. Okay? Now, if pastor says, we're raising money for the lower floor ladies' restroom, and then you mark that on your envelope, that's not you trying to dictate funds. That's you giving in accordance to the leadership of the church. That would count for tax purposes. We'd be happy to print out for you tax court cases uh, that back this up. And so we've done a lot of homework and study and reading on uh, uh, tax law as it pertains to churches. Here's what I want to ask of you. I want to ask that instead of you designating funds toward your pet project that you just write uh, the amount you want to give under capital improvement or building maintenance and uh, let's swell that, uh, that, that amount to a place where we can begin to work on some of these projects. I think back to uh, conversations I've had with Pastor Brown and I remember him talking about the CBI building and uh, the church not having its own building back in the 80s and Pastor Brown just pushed the church. He said, you know, we're not going to buy our first piece of property until you all start giving toward a property fund. And people would give $20 here and $50 here and $10 here and $2 here. And you know what? All of that began to add up with time. And when that money uh, began to add up little at a time toward that fund, uh, there was a nest egg there so that uh, a building committee could be formed and a property could be sought out. And God dropped this property into that. Watch this now. God b- built His church 
by providing this property, but Pastor Brown and the members that were here hooked the hose up to the spigot and they turned it on by giving a $5 bill when they could and a $20 bill when they could and a $50 bill when they could, a little bit of extra coming in here and they contributed a little at a time that built to a place and then we got this property at a greatly reduced rate over what it was worth. Why? Because God saw the effort and He made up the difference. He made up the difference. And so, uh, listen, $70,000 for any one family here, probably too much. But for all of us together, giving a little at a time, boy, these things uh, can come about. And I believe God can use our giving in order to see our property improved and our influence in the community reach. So we see the purpose of the church, the program of the church, the property of the church. Let's look lastly at number four, and we'll finish out. Notice uh, the passion within the church. I'll be quick here. Take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and look at verse number 15. 1 Corinthians 16, and verse number 15. By the way, if you have questions about uh, that renovation list, I'll be available after the service. I'd be happy to answer any whys that you have any questions, please don't feel nervous or uh, irreverent to come up and ask me questions. Uh, I encourage that uh, and uh, want to be able to uh, help you understand. And by the way, God's given the church a leader. You may not always agree with the leader, but you know what? We've got to get in and we've got to follow the leader. So First Corinthians 16 and look at verse number 15. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, uh, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia. And they have, look here, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Notice that's the only time you find the word addicted in the Bible. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Um, you know what we addict ourselves to? Things that we're passionate about. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here quickly. Notice letter A, missing passion. Missing passion. Last Sunday evening, I talked quite a bit about the emasculation of men. One way that uh, it, this is evident is the lack of drive and ambition of the average man. Just willing to sit around and do nothing. Not willing to get involved. Not willing to help. Uh, lazy in every way. Where are the days where men rose up and said, uh, give me a hammer, give me a tool, give me a Bible, give me a Sunday school curriculum. I'm not going to worry about being tired. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to go and I'm going to serve because one day I'm going to stand before my Savior and I want Him to be pleased with the way that I gave my passion to the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Many people are not passionate about anything. Now listen, passion for the cross of Christ is gain when we truly grasp uh, 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 when we truly grasp and emotionally value what Christ did for us for salvation. Missing passion, let her be noticed, misplaced passion, misplaced passion. I want to show you some pictures of some people who have misplaced passion, okay? Uh, notice this one here. This is a picture of a football fan. Before you are calling someone a nut for saying amen in church or giving them the money to the Lord, think about how much money that guy spends on season tickets. 
He spent more on face paint than some of you put in the plate on a weekly basis. He's passionate. All right? And I could have Googled any other team in the NFL and gotten a picture just as crazy. Because all 32 teams have fans that are crazy. And so do every college football team. You know, it's not a problem of lack of passion for most of us. It's misplaced passion. Some of you have been checking football scores while I've been preaching tonight. Misplaced passion. How about this one? People who are passionate about cars. All right? Car fanatics. Again. You know what? They could put him in that thing and bury him in the ground. He can't take it to the other side. But people spend hours in the garage turning a wrench, restoring a car. Why? How about this one? Model train fanatics. How many of you have been out here to the Booth Park and been in that building? It's neat, isn't it? Seeing all those model trains? i got a friend of mine in Maryland who is a single man, owns a large home, and his entire basement is devoted to a model train room. Just a giant model. It's amazing. Just amazing. Blows the things away that are over here at Booth Park. But the thousands of dollars that get spent, for what? A train that goes around a room? Misplaced passion. How about this one? Seasoned vacationers. I wonder how many countries and states she had to travel to to get all those magnets. How many uh, hundreds and thousands of dollars that were spent on airfare and gasoline and hotels and tourist traps. Either that or she's got an Amazon account. I'm not sure which. People that spend spend their life traveling the world. For what? Again, there's nothing wrong with model trains and sports and and uh, cars. There's nothing wrong with vacationing and taking trips and seeing the world. But boy, people are passionate about the wrong things. How about this one? Hunting. Hunting. Now, that one would have hurt if we were in the southeast, but people around here don't hunt as much, all right? But uh, people that go hunting. I don't get getting up at 4.30 a.m., walking through the snow, freezing to death in a tree stand so you can see nothing and go home and talk about how you saw nothing. I, I, just, I just don't understand it. I never will understand it. I've never gone, I've never gone and done any serious hunting. Uh, but um, uh, people are passionate about hunting. Now watch this. Maybe I didn't hit yours. But is your passion misplaced? Ladies, it could be shopping. It could be finding deals. Remember when couponing was a thing? few years ago, all right? Antique shopping, thrift store shopping. I'm preaching at my wife now. And she does it in moderation. But uh, the fanatics. Misplaced passion. Watch this. It isn't that we don't have time for the program of the church For many of us, it's that our passion is misplaced. And I didn't even talk about money in this. I'm just talking about hobbies. Now look at these pictures instead. Look at this picture of these soul winners. Out telling people about Jesus. You know what? 
whoever the other person is on the other side of that door, if they get saved, that's going to matter for all eternity. How about this picture? How about some nursery workers? Aren't you thankful for our nursery workers right now? We're able to have church in peace without the building being ripped to shreds and screaming and crying going on. Praise God for the nursery workers. Make a sacrifice to come in and watch those babies. Thank God for Miss Autumn Codney and Miss Barb Plute who work with those three to five year olds several times a week. Fanatics. But not misplaced passion. Properly placed passion. How about this one? How about these bus workers that are bringing boys and girls to church? Men and women to church. Our church needs bus workers. In fact, we have a desperate need for bus workers. We need some of you to be willing to step up and say, instead of being passionate about whatever isn't going to matter in eternity, I'm going to be passionate about the kingdom of heaven. One set of people have their passion centered around the work of Christ, while the other group has their passion greatly misplaced. We're never going to break away from a small church mentality until enough of us get passionate about living holy lives and serving God. Lastly, letter C, notice, misunderstood passion. Miss Barbara was a quiet old woman who never married. She would sit in the corner of the balcony of Emmanuel Baptist Temple, an auditorium that sat 1,500 people. And she'd sit quietly in the corner of the balcony. She'd slip in and slip out, completely unknown by most everyone who attended her church. Many deacons did not know her name. Even the pastor barely knew her name. But Miss Barbara, as quiet as she was, was passionate about the bus ministry. While I was the bus director in this ministry, I watched her bring boys and girls to church. In fact, she averaged about 30 children every week on her bus. Every Saturday, she showed up, got the bus flyers, and went out on bus visitation. Again, in her 60s at the time, had been doing it since her 40s. But as a single woman, she had devoted her life to those bus kits. Every Sunday morning, she got up, no matter the temperature outside, and got on the bus and was faithful to ride there and back, pick up and drop off of those kids every week. You would not look at Barbara and say, that's a passionate woman. Quiet as a church mouse. Avoided people in the church at all costs. Her passion was just misunderstood. Now listen, passion comes in many forms, but there is one attribute that all passionate people display, and that attribute is commitment. Commitment. You can just count on them. They're there. They're dependable. You may not be loud and boisterous. You may not be outgoing and people-oriented but you can still be passionate about the cause of Christ. What is the purpose of our church? It's the fellowship of the believer. It's the fullness of the Spirit. It's the furtherance of the Gospel. For our church to effectively do that, we must give, 
but we also must go. I want to ask you this question and close this evening. Are you passionate in the service of the King? May Christ, may Christ build His church. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. I want you to ask tonight, do you have a small church mentality? We have 350,000 people directly within a 25-minute drive of our church. But yet a scope of about 350 that are influenced. Why is that? Because more of God's people are not passionate. If 12 men could turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ, surely 200 can turn this area upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only difference is our passion. For many of us, it's either missing or misplaced. Let's get busy serving God. Let's get busy doing our part. Let's jump all the way in. Let's do it as a family. Let's do it as singles. Let God have your heart. Let's stand to our feet together. Lord, tonight I ask that you would take our message, the many ideas that were laid out. It's been long and winding, but yet all connected to the same truth. We want you to build your church. Help us not to be a kink in the hose. Lord, not only work in us, work through us. In Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and eyes closed,